song is Speak, O Lord. And Okay, uh, so today, here we go with a series that I am starting about kingdom. And we'll talk about what the kingdom means. And I'm not sure what comes to mind when you hear that word, kingdom. I mean, it's a, it's a word that shows up in the Bible often. And it's used in different ways in the Bible. And maybe it brings certain things to mind when we think about or talk about kingdom as it comes to us in the Bible. Maybe in some ways we think of kingdom as um, a future-oriented thing, right? The, the kingdom of God is something that's coming, that will be fulfilled, that we think of it in that way of something that is yet on the horizon, yet to be realized. Maybe we think of kingdom as something that's spiritual or otherworldly. After all, in Matthew especially, where I'm going to be focusing these messages, Matthew talks about it as the kingdom of heaven, as though it's someplace else. Maybe that's what comes to mind with kingdom. Maybe when you hear kingdom, the word itself is a word that brings to mind authority, sovereignty, power. After all, kingdoms are ruled by kings, and kings are people who have authority and power. All things that maybe wrap up in this idea of kingdom, but the Bible talks about that idea a lot, kingdom. I want to spend some time looking at what that means and really focusing it in a way that reminds us of this, that the kingdom starts in our backyard. Or maybe to think of it another way, kingdom is right here, and it's right now, and it is not far away, it's close. After all, when Jesus came to begin his earthly ministry, if you read about it in the Gospel of Mark, and, and Mark is one of those Gospels that doesn't include all of the, the Christmas story narrative. Mark just picks up with Jesus starting his ministry. And one of the first things that Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark is, repent and believe because the kingdom of God is near. That Jesus came to proclaim this kingdom. And it's right here that Jesus proclaims that. Some of us who are um, on the Renewal Lab team and were all in a session yesterday went through a devotion that came from the Gospel of Luke where Jesus preaches his first sermon when he's in the town of, of Nazareth in Galilee. And, and he goes to the synagogue, and it's in Luke 4. He goes to the synagogue, and, and the person in the synagogue hands him the scroll, and he reads from the prophet Isaiah about the kingdom. And then he rolls up the scroll and sits down. And, and the way that works is someone reads from the scroll, and then they sit, and then they comment on the scroll and what was read. So he reads this passage from Isaiah about the kingdom of God. And then he sits down, and all he says is, today this prophecy is fulfilled in your sight. That the kingdom is here, and it's right with us. That's the idea I want to go with. And we're going to look at stories about the kingdom, all from the Gospels, and I'll be even more particular, Matthew. I'm going to look at the Gospel of Matthew for this. Matthew always refers to it as the kingdom of heaven, or mostly, and that's unique because you find kingdom stories in Mark, Luke, and John, but for whatever reason, Mark, Luke, and John refer to it as the kingdom of God. Matthew says kingdom of heaven. I don't want us to get hung up on that, though, as though it's something different. 
It's all talking about the same thing. But focusing on what Matthew has to say about the kingdom and the kingdom of heaven and what that means for us because it exists right here in our own world and in our own backyard. So I'm going to begin that today by reading from Matthew chapter 13. Before I do that, let's pray together. God, as we open your word, we know that these are your words. And we're about to read a story that you yourself told to your people. So we pray today that as we hear these words, that we may not just see them as words on a page, but that we may recognize your voice in it. And that we would hear that as something that applies to our own lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, Matthew 13, and here's how this goes. Uh, it's, I'm going to read 23 verses, and it's printed in your bulletins that you have it, but you will notice that not all 23 verses are printed there. I'm just going to say that up front so that when I get to a place in the middle where you think, well, okay, what's he talking about now? There's a middle section to this passage that we left out of the print, but I'm going to read it here. So I, I, if you really want to follow along with that, I guess I would say open one of the Bibles that are in the chairs alongside of you there. But the main parts of this passage, this parable, are at the front and at the back. And I'll read the middle part just so we know the context there too, okay? So Matthew 13, the first 23 verses, starts this way. That same day, Jesus went out to the house and, and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. He told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he scattered the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And now the middle part of that passage. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? Jesus replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance but whoever does not have, even what they do have, will be taken from them. And that is why I speak in parables. Then Jesus goes on to quote Old Testament. He says this, Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, 
because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. And now Jesus goes on then to explain the parable, the story that he began with, picking up with verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the world, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but all the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But... The seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, parables. Let's talk a little bit about this and and. I want to begin there because I'm going to be using Matthew's gospel as sort of the baseline for this whole series about kingdoms. And these are mostly going to be stories that Jesus tells. And Jesus tells stories in the form of parables. So maybe as we begin this sermon series on kingdom, it would be good just to have a a little bit of a refresher, a reminder on parables what parables are and how we're supposed to read them and how they make sense to us. So let's do a little bit of a refresher on that so that we can understand what this message about the kingdom is all about, the way Jesus tells it, because he uses these parables. First of all, some context. Matthew. So uh, what we know about Matthew and Matthew's gospel, that Matthew writes his gospel, right? It's one of four Gospels in the Bible. Matthew writes his Gospel for a Jewish Christian audience. So Matthew is writing his words particularly to people who were born and raised as Jews who followed the Old Testament law, but then received and believed the message of Jesus, meaning they know and they understand all of their Old Testament background history. Matthew can throw in all of these quotes of Old Testament pieces and they would pick it up and know it immediately because that was what they were born and raised into. Matthew is a gospel that begins with a family tree in chapter 1. It begins with a family tree and it begins with Abraham. And Matthew connects Abraham and and goes in a section where he creates the, the lineage, the family tree from Abraham to David. So he goes from there. And then he creates the lineage of David to the exile, goes to there, and then the lineage from exile to Jesus, connecting Jesus directly back, directly back all the way to Abraham, because Matthew knows his audience is looking for that, these Jewish people. 
They're looking for, so how is this guy one of us, the Jewish people? So that's why he goes and he says, all the way back to Abraham. In fact, the way Matthew's gospel unfolds, Jesus fulfills this. Right, Abraham, Abraham was the one who was called to be the establishment of a new covenant people, to bring in that new covenant people. Jesus then connects to that and fulfills it by establishing a new covenant people. He goes on through that lineage in David. David, who's like the greatest king Israel ever had. Whenever the Jewish people think of kings, they think David is the ideal. He's the one that all kings should be patterned after. And Jesus comes and he fulfills the kingship of God's people in that. And then it traces it through exile and how the people come through exile. And God restores the people, brings them from a place of bondage and slavery back to a place of freedom and worship. And Jesus fulfills that part of the story as well. Matthew is tracing these things in the way he tells his gospel. That's background information because when we read these stories in Matthew, that's sort of the underlying tone that Jesus is after in all of these stories, that he's trying to present Jesus in that frame for us to see. Also because it's a Jewish audience who knows their Old Testament, all of these people who were born and raised uh, during the time of Jesus, who knew their Old Testament well, they know that their law comes from what they called the Torah, right? The, the book of the law. And it was actually five books. And it's what we have. It's the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So these five books of the law are where they know and they understand this is where the word of the Lord comes from in these five books. Matthew, when he writes his gospel, knows that and understands that. So when Matthew takes all of the teachings of Jesus, he bundles them together. You know, you read in other gospels, like in the gospel of Mark, Mark is pretty rapid fire with action. There's a lot of activity happening in Mark. Jesus does something and then teaches something and does something and teaches something, and it's sort of back and forth that way. But not Matthew. Matthew takes all of the teachings of Jesus and packs them together, and packs them together in five places. So that when you read through the Gospel of Matthew, you find all these stories of Jesus bunched up in five particular places, and that's on purpose. It's on purpose because Matthew knows, his audience knows and recognizes and sees the word of God comes to us in these five books of Torah. And Matthew is saying, the word of God has come to you. And it's in these five sections of teaching that he puts in his gospel. We're looking today at a story that comes from Matthew 13, which happens to be the third out of those five teaching sections in Matthew. And we're going to spend some time on Matthew 13. Uh, it's a very long chapter. And I'm not going to do it all today, right? So we'll come back to Matthew 13 again in the weeks ahead because there's more stories, more kingdom stories there, all in this same section, this same chunk of teaching around that. That's context around where this story comes from and how the original hearers and readers would have received it and understood it and the frame that they had for it, okay? 
And then Jesus teaches in parables, in these stories that help us understand something about the kingdom. But it seems to be stories that, at least as we read it here, the disciples have to ask. For whatever reason, they're not getting it. And so Jesus explains the parable. I wanted to choose that one to begin with because it's the one where Jesus says, and here's how parables work. Here's the comparison. Here's what it comes together to be. So let's talk about what a parable is and, and how that works. How parables should be read and understood because they are these stories that compare things. Stories that maybe you've heard in certain ways, or you've heard it explained certain ways. Um, Maybe you've heard of or been taught that parables are like allegories. And I would say, no, parables are not allegories. Uh, What I mean by that is an allegory is a story that has a one-to-one comparison, a very specific one-to-one comparison, like in a particular time and place. An allegory would be one where you would make a direct connection of, oh, this in the story relates to exactly this in my world right now. Parables are not allegories with that direct kind of association. They're general. They're general so that anyone who reads it at any time in history, in any culture, in any place, can make the associations. They're general in that sense. They're not meant to be allegories that point you to a very particular time and place and people and application. But they're general ideas like that. Maybe you've also heard parables talked about this way, that parables have been defined as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. If you've heard it said that way. I'm not going to say that's wrong, but I'm going to say that falls short. Because there's more. There's more to it than that. In fact, if I were to say it, I would say a parable is actually an earthly story with an earthly meaning. Because Jesus intends for an immediate application in the world that he's living in right there and right now. That it's not meant to point to somewhere other, somewhere coming, somewhere distant, but the entire declaration of the Gospels for Jesus is that the kingdom is here. It's right now. So he doesn't mean for parables to push us somewhere else but he means for it to be something that helps us see and understand the kingdom right now in our world. So, a definition. If I had to give a definition of a parable, this is what I would say a parable is. That a parable is a story that conveys a kingdom idea which calls for a response. Those two things. It conveys a kingdom idea and it calls for a response. We see these kingdom ideas as they come through this, and and I'm not going to go into great detail about that because we're going to be looking at these stories in the weeks ahead that all sort of capture some kind of kingdom idea that helps us know and understand and see and recognize what the kingdom is. But secondly to that, and importantly, parables call for a response. It's not just a cute story. It's not just a a fable with a moral lesson. But parables are stories that are meant for us to give some kind of a response to what's there. 
Jesus intends for his audience to react and do something because of this story. So those are the two things that we're going to look at. In every parable that we see, we're going to look for those two things. What's the kingdom idea here? And what's the response that's being called for? How does that work then? All right? So let, let's dig a little bit into how that works with parables like this. Parables are something that also then include a point of reference. A point of reference in that in every story that Jesus tells, there's a place where the hearer, the listener, the reader should see themselves in the story. Right? It's a story that invites us to be a part of it. We are somehow in the narrative. We're in the story. So that we're always looking for where's the point of reference? Where is the piece in this story where I am supposed to fit? Where it's supposed to be Jesus saying, I am a part of this story somehow. Parables will often include that point of reference of here's who I am in this story. And that's helpful to identify so that we can know what our response out of that would be. I like the way that Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart, in their book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, talk about parables as being jokes. And I don't mean jokes like it's meant to be funny, not that, but jokes like parables are meant to have a punchline, something buried in it that is just assumed to be caught or understood, kind of like a joke would be, right? I mean, am I allowed to tell like a bad dad joke? Kind of a thing, right? So, so if I say, so uh, what do you call cheese that belongs to someone else? Nacho cheese, right? Now, I didn't have to explain that. Some of you got it, and maybe some of you are still trying to get it, right? But the, here's the thing. Now, if I have to go back and explain that, you know, nacho, it's really like not your cheese. Get it now? All right, the effect is gone, isn't it? Once you have to explain it, once you explain the punchline, all right, then it's not the same anymore. The effect is totally gone then. Parables are like that. There's some kind of a connector inside that the reader is supposed to just catch and understand. And when you catch it and understand it, then it makes sense. But if I have to go back and explain the meaning of it the way Jesus does with this, kind of at that point, the effect is lost. And some of that shows up in this passage, doesn't it? Where Jesus talks about there's some people who get it. There's some people who understand these parables, and there's some people who don't. You catch it or you don't. Something of that shows up in these parables. That there's always something in a parable where we're caught with some kind of a connector or a meaning that we're just supposed to assume and understand. And when you do catch it, you get the effect. But if you miss it, you miss the effect. That's how parables work, the way Jesus tells them. All right, so that's just the quick background of let's understand what it is we're reading and what parables are and how they work. Now then, something about this parable, this parable in particular. Jesus gives the point of reference here to his disciples, doesn't he? This is a story where uh, there's, there's farmer and there's seed and there's different kinds of soils. And he sort of lays it out for us very clearly in this. There's four types of soil here, and that's the point of reference. 
we're not the farmer. We're not the seed. The point of reference in this story is we're the soil. We're the ground. And the question that comes out of it then is, so what kind of ground am I? What kind of soil am I then? Because Jesus is giving a variety of types for this soil. And he puts that out there. And he gives the explanation for that right in the parable, doesn't he? This is one where I don't have to stand up here and make all the associations because we read about it. Jesus did it in this story. Not all the parables are going to be like that, but in this one he did. So he talks about there are these four different types of ground, these four different types of soil, and here's what that means for it to be a point of reference, that we are like that ground. In some of those cases then, that ground is like the path where the seed is sown, but it's immediately taken away. It never even takes root. That it's so that ground is so closed and so hard that the seed just falls away. Some of that ground is rocky. It's mixed with other things, and so the seed comes, and, and there may be an immediate attachment of, yep, I get it, I know it, I understand it, I believe it, but it doesn't produce any fruit. It can't grow because of all the rocks and clutter in there. Then there's the thorns and the weeds, all the distractions, right? The, the things that pull at our attention and pull us away. And again, the seed is received. It takes root and it grows, but no fruit is produced. It's choked out. Only one ground is left where the seed actually produces a fruit, where it actually grows, where it comes to find what is meant for the crop. Because that's why the seed is sown, to produce a crop. Jesus talks about it in this way, in this story. A crop, a hundred 60 or 30 times that it multiplies that way. So think a little bit about how this works, right? Let's spend a little bit of time on this to, to pull this one together today. Uh, so if parables convey a kingdom idea that calls for a response, we need to do two things then. We need to first of all think, what's the kingdom idea? So what is the kingdom idea in this story? And what is my response supposed to be? What is Jesus calling me to do because of this? So let's work on that. First of all, the kingdom idea. Uh, I'll put this story down. How would you just summarize this entire story in one phrase if we had to pull this one together? And I, wanna, I don't want to be too um, complex about this. Let's just make this simple. I'll be very simplistic about it. Story here has a very simple message. Here is simply what happens in this story. Take it at face value. Farmer scatters seed, the seed grows, but it doesn't grow everywhere. Is that an accurate summary? Right? I mean, I'm not looking at the meanings now. I'm not looking at all the associations. I'm just saying let's just look at the action of the story itself and try to summarize it in one phrase. There's a farmer, he scatters seed, the seed grows but it doesn't grow everywhere. That's just a quick capture of, so here's what that story is. Now, in that story then is a kingdom idea that is buried in that. 
So how do we find this kingdom idea? A couple of things here seem to work their way through. One thing we see is this, that the kingdom then is something that grows. He talks about it in forms of a farmer and seed and that kind of thing. But it's something that then takes root and grows. The kingdom is growing. That's a kingdom idea for us to see. A kingdom idea that shows us, you know what, the kingdom of God is not a it's here or it's not kind of thing. It's not I've got it or I don't. It's not fully realized or not at all realized, but there is a growing, emerging element to the kingdom. It's something that takes root and begins to sprout and grow as we go. That's an idea of the kingdom that Jesus shows us in this parable. That we see, we recognize, if you're saying, so what is the kingdom of heaven? How do I see it? How do I recognize it? One of the things to look for is, it's something that's growing. It's ongoing. I see it when I see something that is multiplying. So whenever I see something that I would identify as being the kingdom, and if it's just static and stuck and still, and there's no growth happening, there's no multiplication happening, I'm not sure that's the kingdom then. Because Jesus describes the kingdom as something that grows and multiplies. And in particular, he identifies it by what it produces. There's a crop. Right? That, that's sort of the end of the story. And it's the reason the farmer puts the seed out in the first place. To produce a crop. Fruit. The harvest. That the kingdom of heaven is recognized by what is produced. So what is that fruit? What does that look like? What is that crop? How do we know that? Well, you, you don't get explanation of that in this story here. But we know from other parts of the Bible that talk about fruit, especially kingdom fruit or spiritual fruit. So I'll just throw our attention very quickly to the New Testament. In Galatians 5, where the Apostle Paul says this about kingdom fruit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Where we see in our world these characteristics we see kingdom fruit. Where we see an abundance of love and joy and peace, not just existing, but multiplying, growing, that's evidence of something. It's evidence of kingdom because of what's being produced. Jesus points us in that direction. This is the kingdom idea that he shows us in that, that the kingdom of heaven is recognized by what is produced. And there is a spiritual fruit that we can recognize and see in that. And here's a tough one that I see in here that I, I guess we can't ignore. The kingdom of heaven is hidden. That there's, in this story anyway, there are some people who just don't see it, don't get it, don't recognize it, are not willing to be a part of it. 
I wish that's something we could skip over. Here's what I wish. I wish that wherever the farmer would scatter seed, that it would grow and flourish everywhere. I wish that when God sows the seed of the gospel in this world, that it takes root everywhere it falls, and everyone would receive it and understand it and recognize it and grow to be a part of that kingdom. I wish it would work that way, but I think we know when we walk out these doors and go to the worlds that we live in, we know the reality that if I stood up here and told you that was the message, that you would walk out and say, "Mm, that's not my world. That's not the world I see out there. I think there's a piece of reality that Jesus is acknowledging here for us too, right? That, That makes sense. Okay, I get it. I do get it because I go and I see a world that's broken where there are places in this world where the kingdom just doesn't seem to be growing or producing fruit. And in that way, there are parts out there in our world where this kingdom of heaven is hidden. It's mysterious. People don't catch it. They don't get it. I think that's an instructive part of the story, though, because it calls for us, then, to recognize where the kingdom is growing and taking shape and producing fruit and recognizing where in the world it's not happening and it's not forming that spiritual fruit that's called for there. Some of those is kingdom ideas of what's being brought forward in this story. Something that grows, it's something that produces a fruit, and it's not happening everywhere. So what's the response? All these parables call for a response. What's our response? I think one response would be, well, I'll just put it rather simply, be the soil. It's recognizing the point of reference. I am not the farmer. I'm not the seed. It's not my responsibility to sow the field. It's not my responsibility to make it grow. I don't do those things. I'm the dirt. I'm the ground. I am the one through whom the kingdom that's planted by God produces a crop, produces fruit. That's our place in the story. That we are the ones through whom this kingdom growth happens to produce a crop. And it's our place. So the response that's called for is that question that I asked earlier. What kind of ground am I? So so what is the soil of my soul like? And am I in a place where that kingdom seed that is sown produces multiplies in that spiritual fruit of love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And I don't know if it's an um, all-or-not, zero-sum game kind of proposition. I'm either the good soil or I'm not. Uh, let's be honest about that. right? Uh, be honest about how life really works. There are some seasons of life where my soul feels pretty fertile, and it's, it's growing and it's happening. There are other times, other seasons of life, other events that take place where, hmm, I've got thorns growing. This is getting choked out. Or maybe there's some rocks in the way. And it's, it's there. The, the seed is there, and in fact, it's growing, but nothing is being produced by it. 
that it's not an all or not thing, but isn't it true that when you think about how life works, that we just sort of weave through these seasons of life and sometimes it's flourishing and producing and sometimes I'm struggling to do that. Recognize that. That's real. That's life for us. But this is a story then that brings in front of us the awareness of that. The awareness to know and to say and, and to catch myself and say, oh, wait a minute. I mean, I, mean I, I go to church, I believe the gospel, but wow, I don't know that I'm really multiplying or producing a crop right now. Maybe I need to spend some time taking a closer look at what kind of soil I am. That I need to focus in on being the kind of soil where that kingdom can grow and flourish. It's called for that, to recognize my place in that and to move towards that. And then, go where the growth is, where you see that kingdom fruit being multiplied. Go there. Be a part of it. When we see examples of that happening in and among us, rally around that. And it doesn't just happen. The kingdom is not just inside the walls of a church, right? God's kingdom spreads and grows into our world where you see that kind of spiritual fruit happening in our world around us. Go there. Be a part of it. Where you see examples in our world where there is love and joy and peace that is multiplying. Jump in on that. Be a part of it. Or maybe think of it conversely. Where you see areas in our world where it's weeds, it's thorns, where there's parts of our world that seem to intentionally choke out love and joy and peace. Don't go there. Don't be a part of that. Right? Keep some distance off of that. But be in the places where the kingdom is producing, multiplying, and showing up that way. That's how we find that soil that produces that kingdom in us. All right, so that, that's number one out of this, and we'll continue forward in weeks ahead with some of these other stories about the kingdom and what it's like and how we respond to that in our world right now, right in my own backyard. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your word and thank you that in your word that you reveal to us your kingdom and that it's something that's right here and right now. God, we pray that where maybe we have failed to find our place in that story, 